Would you turn with me as we continue our study in Romans chapter 3? It's good to be with you this morning. Romans chapter 3. We read last week verses 9 down to verses 20 where Paul says, What then are we better than they? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an empty tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction... And misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin." The Apostle Paul in these three chapters has, in a very thorough way, taught us about sin, about the condition of man. And in verses uh, 10 all the way down to verse 18, has given us an x-ray of the human condition from the Old Testament a perspective from Old Testament verses. He's really casting a string of pearls, the karaz, they would call in the Hebrew, casting it before them as it was customary for the teachers of their day, their rabbis, to quote, or in their um, conclusion would be with uh, quoting scripture. Paul, for three chapters, is convincing Humanity that they are all guilty before God, all sinners, all in need of his salvation, all in desperate need of Jesus Christ. Um, it teaches us that because of this truth, this great explanation that Paul has given through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that every single mouth must be stopped and that we all might become guilty before God. It is an immense offense, a great offense against God to, for humanity to uh, proclaim their own righteousness, to proclaim their own good deeds not that humanity, for the most part, I'm talking in very general terms, and the majority has never said that humanity is perfect. There's never really been a doctrine um, by any religion that humanity is perfect. Uh, Muslims don't believe this. Uh, all the pantheistic religions don't believe this. But they do believe, however, which, why it is so redundant, one of the big reasons why it's so redundant 
throughout the Bible that we cannot save ourselves um, is because it is humanity's great pride in earning some sort of favor with God unto salvation, earning heaven, earning paradise. Yes, most religions still believe that God must be kind, that God must be gracious, that he must afford us some sort of mercy in order for us to attain paradise, in order for us to be allowed to go to heaven. But what sets Christianity apart is that pure Christianity, undefiled doctrine from Scripture, it tells us that there is nothing we can do to get to heaven. And not only must he be kind, the kindness in and of itself cannot save us, cannot allow us, because then it would violate another um, attribute of perfection, violate another attribute of justice, which if God just allowed us into heaven and there was no real payment for sins, then it would make God unjust. It would make God imperfect. It would make God unrighteous. And because he is perfect and just and righteous, he cannot allow human beings to go to heaven without a payment. He cannot. He won't. And all throughout Scripture, and not just the New Testament, but all throughout Scripture, it does teach us that we must have a sacrifice, that we must have a payment. In fact, that word will be used in the scripture we'll study today. It's the x-ray of the human condition, the human conscience, um, there in those verses, 10 through 18, that every mouth may be stopped, that the Muslim's mouth may be shut, that all the different various cults within so-called Christianity may be shut. That, that the Buddhists or the, the Hindu or whatever the case may be. Even those who don't have a particular organized religion. The atheist or um, the, whatever it may be. When they talk about their good deeds. That their mouth may be shut and say No. There is one righteous, and it's not us. Um, People want to compare each other to one another. The apostle Paul told the Corinthians, it is unwise for us to compare each other with one another. It's very unwise for us to do this. Well, I'm not as bad as that person. Then you begin to have this false idea of, of who you are, this false identity even of who you are when you look at those who you may think are worse or you may look at those who you think are better um, and be like and feel terrible about yourself and create and also a false identity the idea is that we are to look to Christ to answer the questions of who we are 
as he has told us in his word. And after we discover this very intense reality of who we are, then we reach out to him. Because he has first reached out to us, we say, oh my God, I I am a sinner. My mouth is shut. I must have a sacrifice. I need you for salvation. Understand this is the point. And what that does is that takes the attention off of ourselves. And it puts all of the attention where it should be. And that's on Jesus Christ himself. Grace isn't just to get us to realize we need Christ unto salvation. It's for us to constantly and forever be grateful and appreciative as we consistently look at him for sanctification. What's interesting here in the scriptures is what then are we better than they in verse 9? Paul brings about, and I, and I must say this again as I said last week, he brings about a fourth category of people that he does not want to grow self-righteous and prideful because he's seen it within his own people. In chapter 1, he speaks about the pagan. In chapters 2 and partly of chapter 3, he speaks about the religious person who could be a religious Roman, a religious Greek, that person who tries to do good in order to receive favor and salvation. The third person, a category of people he talks about is the Jewish person. He speaks about them thoroughly, predominantly in chapter 2 and chapter 3. But here he brings about the fourth category. He is talking to Christians. He's saying, okay, Religious person and Jewish person don't think you're better than the pagan, but also Christian don't think you're better than the religious person or the Jew or the pagan. Religious people and the Jewish people were frustrating the Christian. And one of the reasons it was frustrating the Christian is they saw the example of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was very stern with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sanhedrin who were kind of in charge of the temple. He was very strong with them. He called them a brood of vipers. He called them whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, you're clean. Inwardly, you're dead man's bones. Very strong language. And early Christians... Notice very quickly Christ's frustrations and as they begin to persecute the early Christians, of course, their own frustrations now with religious leaders, specifically the religion of the Jews. And he wants to include us and say, hey, should we say then that we're better than they? Not at all. We have previously charged Jews and Greeks, and now I am charging all of humanity as guilty. It's it's hard to articulate the depths of our depravity, even those who are born again, when it comes to wanting to earn favor with God. 
It runs so deep within us. You do something, you get blessed. You do something, you get favor. And then so quickly, and, and, and the reason why it's, it's hard is because there is the reality that when you do things for God, when you obey him um, in all manner of your life, that there are blessings that come along with that. There are blessings. There's financial blessings. Not in any way that the prosperity gospel prescribes, but there is. There's uh, uh, numerous spiritual blessings, joy, peace, happiness, uh, despite the, uh, the, the circumstances that surround us, we can have peace. We can have joy, which is an immeasurable commodity. Um, I don't know, I, 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 I guess there are probably as many people who would say, you know, give me a hundred million shillings and you can have my peace. But I can tell you for me, there is no amount of money that I would want to trade for peace. I have felt the emptiness of, uh, of a lack of peace. I have, I have experienced the uh, no joy in my life, paranoia. Brought on by sin, pain, and, and rebellion. I, there, there's really no amount of money. When I go home at the end of the day, I want the peace of God that surpasses all understanding as we reach out to him in prayer. As we receive the revelation of his word. There's no amount of money I would trade for that. And we see that it becomes so subtle that even as we go throughout our Christianity, there are times, maybe when we started, that, no, I am serving Christ because I love him. And then all of a sudden, as we serve Christ, it becomes about serving him for blessings. One of the great if not the greatest offense of the word of faith movement, prosperity gospel, that is the predominant Protestant movement in Kenya, absolutely predominant. They're everywhere, everywhere, to our left, to our right, to our back and to our front, everywhere. There is a church that pops up that wants to preach, when you do this, you will earn favor with God. You will get the blessings of God. And then all of a sudden it becomes, I do things to serve God so that God can give me what I want, which is a terrible foundation for a relationship. It's awful. So um, millions even of people in Kenya flock to so-called Protestant churches Um, in order to learn how to achieve more blessings, more promotions, all for the purpose uh, of getting what they want. That's how they serve God. That's their basis of obtaining favor. If you do this, you'll get favor. If you do this, you get a promotion. And let's not even talk about the, the nasty doctrines. That is what Paul is speaking out against. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation. 
Certainly there are things you can do to be blessed as you serve God, but if the, the, the very foundation excuse me, the foundation of your, your service, the, the very reason why you serve him is to get something from him, it is very offensive to him, which is offensive to us as well. If somebody's just your friend so they can get financial blessings or, or just constantly be encouraged by you and that's the only reason they're your friend, that is offensive. If somebody is becoming your husband or wife just so that you can serve them, that is offensive. And it is definitely offensive and a greater offense to do that to Jesus Christ who deserves all worship and all praise and all honor just because of who he is. Just because of what he's done. No matter what happens to our lives. And you see this all throughout scripture. You even see it in the parable of the sower. He goes out and sows the word of God. God is the primary sower of the word of God. Though we can also sow the word God as we're giving the privilege to speak God's word as his followers. Some falls on shallow ground. Some falls on rocky. Some falls on thorny. And and the thorns, they kind of choke out. And and that's the cares of this world. And, And... The cares of this world can cause us the pain that we go through, the confusion of pain that we go through with our family members. We compromise obeying God because we can see no other way to receive provision, support, and help. Or the pleasure of this world can can destroy the word of God that's planted in our lives, that we actually believe in, that we initially received with joy. Cares, pleasures, or the enemy comes and he snatches it right out out, because we're not on guard. What is the good soil? Well, one of the primary things of the good soil is that we have such a soft heart and that soft heart is softened by our love for Christ. And because we have the foundation which softens that loose soil is love, then no matter what happens to us, we're going to serve God. No matter if the pain of this world comes in and the cares, the worries, the anxieties, well, our foundation is not a painless life. It's not a life without hurt. It's not a life without trouble. So when those come along, which they do for everyone, we still serve God because our foundation wasn't to serve him to, 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 in order to receive no pain, no trouble. And, 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 and we, we have faith through denying ourselves worldly pleasures, fleshly pleasures. And our foundation in serving God is not for pleasure. It's because we love him. And you can see this, this river of truth kind of flowing through the New Testament that the basis of our salvation is his goodness, his worth, his majesty. And when we 
enter into this relationship when it is the foundation is who he is and what he's worth and what we are to do to glorify him, then when troubles come, that's okay because it's not about us. It's about him. When pleasures arise within us, we can deny him uh, because it's not about us. It's about him. So if the foundation of our salvation, which is grace alone, is only because of Christ and there's no human responsibility, then there's no human foundation for our salvation. That's, that's the whole point of what's happening here. And, 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 and now you can start to see, wow, this is, this is why those prosperity gospel churches, those those word of faith churches are so evil. It makes the entire basis of our relationship with Christ about us. That's really what's going on. It's about us. It's not about him. It's about us getting blessings instead of worshiping him. It's about us getting a promotion instead of exalting him. Him getting a promotion in our hearts. It's, it's about us which distorts everything. Why do you think so many people leave those churches? Because they discover after a few years that life is still the same for everyone else, including the Christian. There is a lot of pain and there's a lot of trouble and there's a lot of heartache. And that preacher told me there would be no pain. There would be riches. There would be no sickness. There would be health. And that is not the case. that every mouth may be shut. Wouldn't you like to put a pin on some of these preachers' mouths? You know one of those clips? Just go and clip it right on their lips. Be like, shut up for a second. Listen to God's word. Let him speak and let us listen. Well, let's let him do that as we read verse 21. But now the righteousness of God is apart from the law. It's revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all. Who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that we previously committed. To demonstrate at this present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. I was a part of a service that really grieved my heart years ago here in Eldoret. It just, it made me so angry that I wanted to take the pastor and really grab a hold of him and throw him off the property. It wasn't this church. He started boasting. There was a, a fundraiser for Fish FM. I think, Alfred, you were there. And 
the original speaker was, had, uh, could not make it. He, he had some car trouble, and he was still a couple hours away. And this uh, guy kind of got up and promoted himself to be the speaker of the event. Oh, man. So you were supposed to sign up. You're supposed to sign up your pledge to donate to Fish FM. And he's just prancing around, not in a way to try to get people's attention by preaching, proclaiming in a passionate way the gospel or the word of God, but really that smooth kind of prancing. And he, he just starts going off on, he's like, put me down for 100,000 shillings, write it down. Write it down. He spelt his name out. My name is B. Ah, I won't finish it. Spelt his name out. He said, write it down. 100,000. I'm going to get my tenfold blessing. I ain't going to. I'm going to get it. You imagine I'm sitting there. And then he starts embarrassing people. People wanted to get up, possibly go to the bathroom or potentially leave because they were hearing a fool speak. And he started, started shouting at them. He started saying, oh, you, you, sit down. Pastor on duty. Just like that. Called himself pastor on duty. People can't get up. These people could have needed to use the restroom. Who knows what they needed to do? Oh, man, I... Uh... I walked up to uh, the guy organizing the event. I said, why is he up there while he was talking? And you know, I'm always conflicted in situations like that. I've been in those situations many times, and I know many of you have, where your heart is troubled. And you're thinking, you know what? Even when some of you, many of you came out of those kinds of movements, and and there was a time in your life where you were sitting, and you're sitting there going, you know what? I know I've listened to this for some years. This isn't quite right. There's something wrong with this. Where is boasting? Where is boasting, verse 27? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. God, through Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is ending this three-chapter-long sermon with Jesus Christ. He, he, there is none righteous. Then he says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You want to know where we find our righteousness, where we find our payment, where we find our purpose, where we find our pleasure. It's not in money. It's not in 
anything other than the righteousness and the pleasure we have in knowing Christ. And Paul does something here, which he always does, and he says, it's revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, it's kind of a way of saying, um, uh, uh, by the Old Testament. He's like, guys, you think that... uh, This is a new doctrine. This is not a new doctrine. That principle is all throughout the New Testament that uh, Charles Spurgeon said many years ago. If it's new, it isn't true. And you look at this. Um, All throughout the Old Testament, I'll read one for you here. In Micah... Micah chapter 6. It says, what, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? With the Lord, will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams? Or even more, 10,000 rivers of oil. Can you imagine a river of oil? Just walking up and olive oil is going down a river. Will the Lord receive me? Will he accept me for 10,000 rivers of oil? You, you, You understand this is rhetorical. It cannot. He will not. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? Can I even give my own children to try to have God receive me? Is that sacrifice enough? No, it's rhetorical. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? No. You cannot. See, this is not a New Testament idea. This is not a New Testament doctrine. This doctrine is of old. This doctrine is of the Old Testament. That that we cannot approach God with the sacrifices in the temple. We cannot approach God with 10,000 rivers of oil. We cannot approach God even if we sacrifice our firstborn son. And that's why God stopped the knife of Abraham the patriarch. And God said to Abraham, do not harm the child. I will provide a sacrifice. Your firstborn son cannot uh, pay for sins, but my firstborn son can pay for sins, and his name is Jesus Christ. How is it that they missed this? How is it that the religious Jew all throughout the centuries missed this Old Testament truth that the law and the prophets spoke about. It is nothing other than the pride of man. And this is why it's so important. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He anticipates once again the Jews saying, Paul, we do not need salvation as much as the pagan who is filled with all sorts of sexual morality or murder. We, do, we don't need it. And you know what? There are people who haven't sinned as greatly 
as um, uh, others. Doesn't mean we're not sinners like others or better than others as the word of God has already taught us. It, it would be like going to the coast here in Mombasa and saying, hey, let's see who can jump the furthest out into the water. We're going to run down the beach towards the ocean and we're going to do a long jump. And whoever jumps the longest is going to win the prize. Well, there may be some people who fall shorter than others. I can't jump very long. I know most of you Kenyans would jump much longer than me. But the point that the Word of God is trying to make, it doesn't matter who jumps the longest. If you jump at the Mombasa coast, you're not going to hit land. Nobody can jump that far. You're not going to jump over to Japan. And the infinite distance that it requires for us to be born again is a distance that cannot be measured. It's like Jesus Christ came down to earth, took a bow and an arrow, took a, 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 a target about that big, put it on the other side of the universe and shot it and hit it dead on. That is the requirements of God. Doesn't matter if we haven't fallen more short than others. None of us can go the distance that it takes to achieve the righteousness that God requires. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. That propitiation really means um, the payment. Uh, the, it's that word that was used um, uh, uh, for the Ark of the Covenant when these cherubim surround. The propitiation was was the payment as they would sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant. Propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that we previously committed to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness. That he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting? It's excluded. It's faith. The Bible talks about in Galatians 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. The law is there for humans to understand the depths of their sinfulness and to look at the height or heights of Christ's righteousness. It isn't just a New Testament doctrine, as we mentioned before, but six things that I'm just going to go through right now that you can think about in the verses we've read today. Number one is the Bible is speaking against legalism, that is, to achieve something of righteousness in the law. Number two, Scripture is built upon revelation all the way from the Old Testament. Number three, righteousness is acquired by faith in Jesus Christ, which makes our life and our salvation, the object of that is Christ himself. 
Number four, it's for everyone. Scripture says it. It's for everyone. It's for the circumcised, for the uncircumcised. There in verse 30, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, this salvation is for everyone. Number five, it is a gift of God. It is a gift of grace. And number six, it had the greatest cost. This is not a cheap grace. In order for our salvation to be attained, it required every drop of blood of Jesus Christ. which demands our obedience. Every time we willfully sin, we are bringing shame to the cross of Jesus Christ. So those six things, speaking against legalism, that is attaining righteousness through the keeping of the law. Number two, it's built upon revelation of Old and New Testament. Number three, salvation is acquired by faith in Christ. Number four, it's for everyone. Number five, it's a gift of grace. Number six, um, it, it had the greatest cost, which is Christ's blood. Let's have the worship team come forward as we bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that every time we open this book, it's like taking a a pill, it's, it's medicine. It reminds us that our salvation is by Christ. It is through Christ. So all of our attention is on Christ and not ourselves. We thank you, Lord. And because of this, our love has grown. Because of this, we worship you in all manner, including our giving. I do pray, Lord, that as we do give now, that you would be glorified in it. And I pray that you would be honored and that you would grant us wisdom through the administration of these gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.